bring you greetings this morning in Jesus' name. We've uh, been doing a series of sermons on the Sea of Life and some of the ships that we encounter on the Sea of Life. I, I looked at, originally I looked at the relationship ship and that's where all of our lives begin, parents, children, uh, and then it evolves into all other, continues to evolve into all other complicated kinds of relationships, probably not any more complicated than we make them. We looked last time at hardships, and uh, this morning we like to look at lordship. And uh, it's a ship that the sooner we uh, acknowledge and get on board, the smoother our journey will be. I like to suggest that from the own start here. Webster says when the word lord has to do with supreme power and authority, and that's why I, I divided it, okay? Lord has to do with supreme power and authority. Ship has to do with territory, okay? And uh, when we think of lordship, we're thinking of uh, someone who has control over my life. And uh, take your hymn books and turn to hymn number 125. I was blessed as we, we sang that hymn this morning. I, I didn't really know it, but there's a phrase in there that, that fit so perfect with our sermon here this morning. If you look at the first verse, the second stanza, Let every heart prepare a throne. Now does that sound like lordship? Each one of our lives uh, has one throne. And you and I can choose this morning who is going to be on that throne. Do we give acknowledge and place for the Lord Jesus Christ to be on that throne? Or do we desire to have self enthroned or any other substitute? Uh, I was blessed by that phrase in that song as I thought about uh, the sermon this morning. The word Lord appears quite a few times in the Bible, as anyone would guess. Uh, you take your Strong's Concordance and start paging through. It's, it, I was going to count the pages, and I didn't even do that. But I did, uh, I did take a couple of estimates, and the estimates varied, and I'm sure it varied on according to the translation that was counted. Anywhere from 6,671 times to 7,830 times that the word Lord is actually used in our Scripture. Lord's possessive is fewer, only 134 times. Lordly one and Lord's plural, 42, Lordship is found only two times, actually. Uh, you may have thought it could. I, I would have thought it was found more than that. But, and actually, I think it's in a negative way, somewhat of a, uh, a negative way. I think it's used as the Gentiles having lordships. Uh, and uh, so it's not used in the, uh, the way that I'm looking at it here this, this morning. This morning I have ten uh, reasons what qualifies... Jesus to be Lord of my life or your life this morning. We're going to be looking at a number of things and uh, quite a number of scriptures. And uh, you can follow along if you want to just listen. That's fine with me too. The first point, Jesus was born into the right family. And uh, when we think about lordship, especially back in the uh, colonial British times, you know, it, it, it had to do with having the blue blood in you. And uh, Jesus was born into the correct family. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And verse 11 pops out in that 
that account of the scripture that's recorded to us by Luke. And it reads like this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Clearly identifying uh, his authoritorial position. Christ the Lord. And uh, I'd like to just back up and read verses 1 through 20. It's uh, the Sunday before Christmas, and I think it's uh, a very, even though we were discussing Matthew's account this morning, I'd like to read Luke's account. Matthew, uh, thinking about being born into the right family, uh, you know, Matthew's account uh, would uh, uh, trace uh, the uh, ancestral ascending from Abraham up through, whereas Luke, I think, actually traces it from Mary's side and actually going uh, back the other way, uh, if you look at the genealogical account there. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary's espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly there with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men." And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into the into heaven, the shepherds sent one to another, "Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us." And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. I'll stop reading there. But uh, very impressive and familiar account, so familiar that we, you know, we, we read over a lot of the details that are included in there. And there's just a few things I'd like to pick out. That's in verse, uh, first verse 1, in those days. Uh, to think the God of eternity uh, uh, is, is, is focusing on days. And in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. God has timing. We, we measure time by days. We measure time by years. And, and God is, is reckoning. It says, in those days, God used Caesar Augustus and, and brought that uh, taxation into place. And uh, we discussed it in the Sunday school lesson, all the details that were brought to pass and, and the way that everyone uh, was uh, fulfilled to its exact uh, minute detail. And uh, the shepherds uh, always was challenged with their... Um, obedience and going, and it says, and the angel answered and rewarded their uh, visit there, and it says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy to all people, 
All people need to give recognition to the Lordship of Jesus Christ this morning. We can deny it, we can turn our backs to it, but yet the, this message comes to us as a, an opportunity that we need to get on board this ship and have Him as Lord of our lives. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I want to talk about a little more about peace later, but uh, it stands out to me there in verse 14. Uh, I was challenged as I thought in comparison to um, uh, our Sunday school lesson, the Matthew account. It says, as they, uh, when they had seen it, verse 17, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And, uh, you know, just contrasting that to uh, the wise men. Now, this probably was before the wise men, at least chronologically, I would think it probably would have been. But Jesus qualifies to be Lord of my life this morning because he is born into the right family. God had, had a plan and God brought that to pass and he used uh, humble uh, Joseph and Mary to, to bring that uh, child in a home setting in this world today. The second point that I have is his coming was foretold and a fulfillment of prophecy. So his, his coming, he qualifies as Lord. Uh, he was a fulfillment of prophecy and promised. And uh, we know the Jews were looking forward to that. They anticipated that. But yet, it's so sad that they were not ready to accept that, him as Lord of their lives, him as Lord of their kingdom. And uh, we talked about that. Why, why weren't they ready? There were others that had their births foretold. Uh, and I could just think of John the Baptist along as a forerunner of Jesus. His birth was foretold. Uh, and I, I couldn't think of any others. I, I don't know. Are there others? The Antichrist is another one. And that's his birth isn't really foretold. It's just that his, his workings in the world are foretold. Um, so I don't know. I, I couldn't think of any. Maybe if you can think of other uh, incidents where a birth is foretold. Uh, I guess Samson might have been somewhat... I don't know. I'll have to think about that some more. But uh, Jesus, as, as coming as Lord and as the promised Messiah, qualifies as Lord because of a fulfillment of prophecy. Take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 7. I'd like to just lift this prophetic scripture out here. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 14 and uh, 14 through 16. Again, these are familiar verses. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For behold, the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good. The land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Again, a somewhat... Uh, uh, prophetic fulfillment here... Uh, given by the prophet Isaiah, uh, a very distinct, uh, something that is, is out of the ordinary, not a natural birth. Call his name, and his name even uh, identified there, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this morning, as we think of yielding our lives, the throne of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, uh, we can be blessed by that having him as Lord of my life. And uh, rather than uh, it, 
evoking fear or uh, distrust. He is certainly qualified. Turn then to the New Testament, to the book of Acts. I'd like to uh, read what Stephen has to say as, we, as he uh, draws attention to that uh, prophecy. Acts chapter uh, 6, two verses there in Acts chapter 6, verse 14, and then also chapter 7. This is when uh, Stephen was uh, falsely accused here. And uh, verse 14, for, ye, for we have heard him say, or this is the accusation they were bringing against him, for ye have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And uh, all that sat in the council, looked steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. That's referring to Stephen. But in verse 14, uh, they clearly are, are uh, putting there, the Jewish council here is putting their anchor in, in Moses uh, as their prophet. And then jump down to chapter 7, verse 37. And then G, uh, Stephen, in, in uh, countering their accusation here about Jesus uh, overriding Moses here, he says, This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto, me, uh, like unto me, him shall ye hear. And he's clearly telling them that this is indeed that prophet that the prophet Isaiah was talking about. You're, you're going back to Moses, and, and yet Moses had told them about that, that fulfillment of prophecy. And Stephen very clearly there in Acts chapter 7, verse 37, he says, This is that Moses uh, which... Uh, and he tries to make that connection. I, I get a, a feeling that, that Stephen from his heart was, was pleading with them that they would make that connection. And yet they were using that as a point of rejection, saying he's not qualified. And Stephen, with the burden of his heart, seems to point them that this, this is that promised, foretold prophet that is to come. Born into the right family, his promise, uh, or his coming foretold, and a fulfillment of prophecy and promised. Thirdly, he was willing to leave, uh, he's Lord of life, and he was willing to leave the glories of heaven to be a sacrifice for sinful man. And I'd like to go to John 10, uh, first of all, John 3, that golden text of the scripture. And again, that's a, a familiar uh, text that we uh, read over so many times, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The golden text of the scripture. Do we embrace that text? Uh, God so loved that he gave his only begotten Son. Suppose God had searched, as the songwriter says, searched through heaven and couldn't find one willing to go. Where would we be today? Um, Can we in our finite minds comprehend what Christ, what Jesus gave up, leaving the, the glories of heaven and coming down to this earth? And not only, you know, we look at our surroundings, we look at our, our 
our world today, and there's, there's a lot of beauty there in nature. We, we, we give recognition to God for that. But to think that, you know, we can't comprehend the beauties of heaven, the glories of heaven. I, I, I can't help but think there's no comparison, even though we've never been there. Uh, to the sacrifice that the Lord was willing to give. He was willing to leave the glories of heaven to come and suffer and uh, the, the, the vilest of, of death so that we could experience life everlasting. John chapter 10, uh, verses 17 and 18 Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And I bring those verses in the fact that Jesus was not a victim of, of the connivings of man. He willingly gave uh, his life in sacrifice, as we saw there in John 3.16. He willingly gave his life. He said, "He no man taketh it from me there in John 10. I lay it down. I have power to lay it down. I have power to, to take it up again. Jesus willingly laid his life down, left the glories of heaven, came and, and suffered uh, death, the cruel death of the cross. He was indeed Lord of life. Uh, we think of, of, this, of life as the sea of life. There's no one more qualified this morning to to pilot us through this sea of life. And I'd like to just uh, read a quote from Jesus is Lord, and it's an excerpt from One Solitary Life, author on Noah. Jesus is Lord, yet he declares his lordship through the power of humility and grace. Here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30, and then for three years was an inerrant preacher. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of those things that usually accomplish greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed on a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executors gambled for the only piece of property that he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a barred grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty long centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as he, as has that one solitary life of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I think that puts it in perspective. Fourthly, I like to think Jesus qualifies to be Lord because of his position and uh, turn uh, to uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 2. I want to just, while oh, you're turning there, Hebrews chapter 8, verse, verse 1. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. 
That's talking to Jesus. Then dropping back to chapter 2 where you're turning to, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. I was impressed with that, that phrase. Uh, he took not on him uh, the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, and it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. You and me this morning. He took on the human nature so that he could be, uh, he could be one with us in our temptation and our trials and our sufferings and provide reconciliation for the sins of his people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is then, and that's a very favorite promise, able to succor them, strengthen us that are tempted. His position as a priest, a merciful and faithful high priest, making reconciliation for our sins, uh, tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. And paging just ahead to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like us we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And again, another very precious promise and do we exercise that promise of coming boldly under the throne of grace that we may find and obtain mercy and grace in our times of need and indeed we are needy creatures this morning we need the lord on the throne of our lives we need to get on board his ship and allow him to be lord of our our lives through this sea of life tempted in all points like as we are i think some of the other translations would say tempted in all kinds of temptations like we have. Maybe not every specific temptation, but yet all kinds of temptations like we have uh, encountered as human beings. So his position as priest this morning, a heavenly high priest interceding between us and God, is something we cannot afford to, to be without. We need that intercessory power of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Fifthly, he has received the approval of the Father. God the Father, he has received that approval. He is the only one that actually can qualify as our intercessor and uh, needs to have that access to our life. So fifth, uh, we find that approval in, in Matthew's account. I want to look at it. It's in some of the other, it's in the other Gospels too. But Matthew chapter 3, at his baptism, verse uh, chapter 3, Matthew 3, verses 13, then cometh... Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So there we have a, an acknowledgement of approval from God the Father to the work of Jesus Christ and his earthly ministry. And that qualifies him to be Lord of my life. It's good enough for me. 
chapter 17 is the second time we find a audible approval of uh, God the Father on the work of the Son. Chapter 17, this is at the Transfiguration, Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as his light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with them. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, I like the way Peter addresses him there. Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. But they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And they came down from the mountain. Jesus charged them, saying, tell, this vision, tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. He received the approval of the, his Father at his baptism, at the transfiguration there in a very, uh, to just a, a select few. And uh, going then to uh, Matthew's for their own in our, in the, our Savior's uh, earthly ministry in Matthew ch- uh, chapter 21. Um, this is his triumphal entry. And uh, reading verses 1 through 10. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage upon, uh, unto the Mount of Olives, they sent Jesus, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a cold with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say unto you, ye shall say, now notice verse 3, ye shall say, the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. Jesus there clearly is identifying him as the Lord having need of these uh, animals, and straightway he will send them. I like that, uh, uh, that he brings that out. Verse 4, all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, notice that, uh, tell ye the daughters of Zion, Behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt to file an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put, them, put on them their clothes, and they set him their own. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And and when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? (laughs) This was the Lord. And uh, he clearly had identified himself as the Lord having need of this, and he rode on his throne in a very humble throne uh, into Jerusalem. And uh, they seemingly were uh, almost ready to, uh, you know, he was at probably the height of his popularity. And from that point on, it seemed like it was downhill. But yet they asked that question in verse 10, and that stood out to me. They said, who is this? And uh, we need to answer that question this morning uh, in regards to who is Lord of my life. Is Jesus Lord of my life, or do I have something else enthroned in that position? The Lord hath need of us. The Lord wants to be on the throne of our life. The Lord is qualified to be on the throne of the heart of our life. We need to yield that, that position to him. Well, the sixth reason 
Jesus qualifies is that he knows what we need. And uh, Peter uses an expression in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, uh, and Dwight talked about, preached from John 10, so I'll not uh, do a lot of... Uh, Peter here refers to him in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, as... Uh, as the chief shepherd shall appear, and you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Uh, I might read verses 2 through 7 here. Uh, Peter is actually giving exhortation to the elders or to the leaders of the church. And he says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage. Now, it's interesting I use that lords in a negative way, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Jesus is qualified as the good shepherd. Uh, he knows what we need. Today, we need to choose whether we want to be in the Lord's flock or fold, as David describes it in Psalms 23. And that's a familiar psalm that we... Uh, that Psalm 23 in the golden text there in John 3.16. But if you just uh, flip back in your Bibles to Psalms 23, and again, it's a familiar psalm. We can quote it by memory, and it's the two probably... If you were to ask anyone on the street for, for a, a Bible text that, that pops into their mind, it would probably be one of those two texts, either Psalms 23 or, or John 3.16. But you notice how Psalms 23 begins. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. David, clearly, a shepherd himself, uh, seeming to have a full grasp of, of, of his somewhat what is entailed in, in God's provision and care of him. And he says, The Lord is indeed my shepherd. He restoreth my soul. Verse 3, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, does that Lord stand out to you? David clearly is saying he's God, Jesus Christ, is Lord of his life. Seventhly, the seventh point is, Jesus was clearly Lord of the physical. And uh, flipping back in your Bibles to, I'm jumping around a lot here, but uh, Matthew chapter uh, 8 again. I think we were there maybe once before or close. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. And this is... Uh, and when Jesus was, this is during our Lord's ministry, and when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother's laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. And when the eve was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that, he, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Uh, clearly, Jesus identifying him as Lord over all the physical infirmities and spiritual infirmities that you and I will ever encounter in life. He's Lord of those experiences. Uh, going on just a bit further in that same chapter, verses 23, we see him as being Lord over some of the more natural elements. 
And when he entered into the ship, talking about the sea of life, and when he entered into the ship, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep, and his disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Uh, I'm not sure uh, that our response would have been any different, but are we sometimes hesitant to uh, invoke and fail to come to the Lord when we are in need? And, but he is clearly Lord of the physical and natural elements of life. I, he's clearly the one I want at the helm of my ship, our ship, as we go through the sea of life, as we encounter difficulties and problems. He is qualified to see us through. Eighthly, he proves himself to be Lord of life and death. And turn your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verses, uh, as we think of Jesus evidencing himself as Lord of life and death. Look, I want to read verse 1 through 18. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. The setting here is Jesus had just been crucified. He had been put in that borrowed tomb by uh, his loving friends. And Mary coming uh, on the first day of the week to pay her respect to that one she uh, claimed as Lord of her life. Verse 2, Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciples, saw the stone was rolled away, and whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord, notice, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they had laid him. Who told them to call, who told Mary to say that this is the Lord? She clearly made that acknowledgement herself. He was Lord of her life. She was, he was worthy of all her worship and adoration. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lying, the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And that, that uh, you might question that verse there. It says, uh, I think a better clarification of that, they understood not fully. Uh, they certainly, Jesus had told them to that. I just read that, that he could take his life and, and he could you know, lay his life down and take it up again. And, and he clearly had told them before that he was going to do this. But yet their faith was not embracing that reality. Uh, verse 10, Then the disciples went again unto their own house, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And this part I like. Stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into that sepulcher another last time. I think she just couldn't come to grips with You know, her Lord was gone. He's gone. And that separation probably seemed so desperate and bleak and dark. Verse 12, you see Jesus rewarding her faith for looking in that second time. And seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, her Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away, notice that, they have taken away my Lord. And I know not where they have laid him. 
And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will, I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. And she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples and told the disciples that. Now notice what she told them. She said, She had seen the Lord. And they had spoken these, and had, he had spoken these things unto her. Jesus clearly reveals himself to Mary as the Lord of life. You know, life and death, they're not difficult for Jesus. And uh, we want to put our faith in him. 1 Corinthians 15, that resurrection chapter, New Testament resurrection chapter, just a couple of verses, verses 16. The whole chapter could be beneficial to read, but I want to just pick out a few verses, verses 16 through 23. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ shall perish. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. And I'll stop reading there. But uh, dropping down to the end of the chapter, then also verses 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I've just challenged how many times the word Lord pops out of the scripture and it's capitalized. Uh, he proves himself as Lord of life. And uh, we, we don't need to fear death. Uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's uncertainty in, in the hereafter perhaps. But, you know, by faith we can embrace it. We can experience it. We have hope in Christ Jesus because of what, uh, you know, our, our, our carnal man, our natural man, our physical man probably sometimes recoils. Uh, you know, we think of this maybe times of suffering, uh, pain that go along with death. But... Uh, to know that God is, is with us through that experience is, is a promise that the believer can, can hold on to. Well, he not only has life, he not, has not only proved himself Lord of life and death, but he's also, uh, he has, he's returning again. And he has a kingdom. He's Lord, and he has a kingdom that he's coming back to uh, claim as his own. Uh, Acts chapter 1. I want to read verses 1 through 11. Uh, 
The former treaties that I have made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he saith, Ye, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall baptize with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? You know, that seemed to be the, the foremost thought in their mind. You know, when is this kingdom going to come to pass? And they're giving him the, the title of Lord. Lord, when, when will you restore this kingdom to Israel again? And in verse 7, Jesus answered, he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. So his return is at his own choosing, at his own timing. Just as his first coming was, his second coming is, is at his own time and own choosing, and it's going to be a perfect time. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And that goes back to our devotional this morning that Darren had. You know, we are called to be lights in the world. And the brightness, Jesus using us as, as lights in the world. Jerusalem, Samaria, and un, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus is calling us to be lights in this world. Witnesses for him. Verse 9, And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly, so he not only resurrected bodily, but then he also ascended back up into heaven. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which, ye, which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go, as ye have seen him go into heaven. And I'll stop reading there. But, uh, again, clearly, Jesus clearly establishing a kingdom in this world. And it's, it's those, you and I are a part of that kingdom, and we have allowed him to be enthroned. Uh, he has, he's enthroned in the throne of our lives. Philippians chapter 2. Thinking about his returning... Um, Philippians chapter 2 and our acceptance of that returning you know we're, we were looking this morning at his the acceptance of his first coming how do we feel about the acceptance of his second coming are we ready for that uh, Philippians chapter 2 breaking in here verse 5 let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, every, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So there's coming a day when everyone will confess that he indeed is Lord, whether we acknowledge him that rightful place or not today in our lives. But uh, Jesus very clearly giving us an example how we ought to live. 
he made himself of no reputation, uh, took upon him the form of a servant. That's what call, Jesus calls us to today. He wants to use us as servants in his kingdom. He's returning again. May, may we be faithful in that lapse of time as he tarries till his, his return. The tenth reason Jesus qualifies to be Lord is the fact that he's, he's the Lord of peace. And I, I told you I'd pick that thought up later when I was referred to it just passing over. Romans chapter 5, you know, the Christmas season is a time we, we talk about peace. We refer to Jesus as the, the Prince of Peace. Romans chapter 5, uh, I want to read verses 1 through 21. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Only if we have enthroned Him as Lord of our lives. Verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein ye stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, whom by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet for adventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Who is the figure of him that was to come? But not as the offense, so also is but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift for the judgment was by one to to condemnation, but the gift but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And uh, you know, there's a lot of content in that uh, Romans 5 there. But I wanted to pick out the idea of the gift. You know, the gift of Jesus Christ is, is the best gift we can pass on to anyone. Talk about a gift that delivers. And it's free. It describes it as a free gift came upon all men under justification of life. That gift is passed as we assume our uh, position in the Lord. And he can use us as a channel 
to minister to the needs in our community, in our church, in our families. And uh, that grace will much more abound as we avail ourselves to the service of the Lord. Uh, that gift is, in the end, actually a gift of eternal life. As I thought about Jesus being Lord of Peace, qualifying to be Lord of Peace, I had to think about the Lord's Prayer. You know, it's, it's interesting that it's identified as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. But, you know, communication is, is, is a key in, in, in peace. Uh, you know, there's, there's, one, uh, there's one man comes to my mind when I think of a peacemaker, and, uh, and I'm, I'm talking in a temporal sense, okay? And this is probably going to date me. But the Vietnam War was, was going when I was just a youngster up through to probably, I don't know, maybe seventh grade, sixth grade. So when, when, was the, when, when was the peace treaty invoked, or Dennis? Do you know? <laughs> what was the year? 73? 4, 74. Okay. Anyone know who I'm thinking about? Okay, Nixon was president. There was one of his, Henry Kissinger. Uh, you know, and as I observed that as a boy, I thought, you know, that would be a powerful position or a, a unique position to be in. You know, to be, you know, that war had been going for, I don't know how many, what the span of that years was. But, to, you know, what's the hope of that being accomplished? Now, we know that that was a man-made peace and it didn't last and all that. But, uh, you know... To be in that role of a peacemaker, and then to think of our role as peacemakers between God and man, uh, God using us. We cannot take Jesus' place, but yet we can point people to the one who can actually uh, serve that, that role as peacemaker between God and man. And uh, so that was just a, an index or a thought that as I, I thought about the role of peacemakers, and indeed we are called to be peacemakers in the world today, in our communities, in our churches, in our, in our homes well, in conclusion, the question we have to ask ourselves, the Lordship of Jesus, have I yielded my life to his power, to his authority? Have I given him this territory, my being, my thoughts, my entire being to his control? And it's uh, easier said than done. And it's uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul used the expression, he said, I die daily. And we need to do that. Sometimes, several times a day, we need to die and yield ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ.